These are the confidential counsels which Yahuwah gave to Yeshua HaMashiach. Thank you everyone for hanging in there with us for the last hours. We went through the Hebrew Gospel of John chapter 17. And for the second time tonight, Shabbat Shalom from Under the Dome, we are now moving on to Revelation chapter 7. And I believe this time Michael will be reading from it. So Michael, take it away. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Again, um, yes, I will be reading Hebrew Revelation. And you guys are in for a treat. Because I will be pronouncing the Hebrew words tonight for the 144,000. So let's go. Um, Confidential Councils, chapter 7, verse 1. And after this, I saw four messengers standing at the four ends of the earth and holding back the four winds of the earth, so that there would, be, would not be wind on the earth or on the waters or on any tree. Then I saw another messenger which came from the rising of the sun, and he had the seal of the living hell, and he imposed and cried out with a great voice to the four messengers to whom it was given to damage the earth and the sea. And he said, Do not damage the earth or the sea or the trees until I place a mark on the foreheads of the servants of Yahweh. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. It was a 144,000 who were sealed of the families of the children of Yisrael, from the tribe of Yehuda, 12,000, from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000, from the tribe of Gad, 12,000, from the tribe of Asher, 12,000, from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000, from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000, from the tribe of Shimon, 12,000, from the tribe of Lewa, 12,000, and from the tribe of Ishakar, 12,000, from the tribe of Zebulon, 12,000, from the tribe of Yosheth, 12,000, and from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. And after this, I saw a great company, which one is not able to number from all the nations, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white garments, and in their hands were branches. And they cried out with a great voice, and said, Salvation belongs to Yahweh and to the Lamb. And all the messengers were standing around the throne, and the elders and the living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and prayed to Yahweh, and said, Lauding, and thanksgiving, and praises, and honor, and glory, and power, and strength, be to our Elohim, from everlasting and unto everlasting. Amen. Then one of the elders answered and said to me, Who are these who are clothed with white garments, and from what place do they come? So I said to him, Adon, you know. And he said to me, They are those who come from the myths of much suffering, and they have washed their garments and purified their garments with the blood of the Lamb. And because of this, they are before the throne of Yahweh, and serve him day and night. And he who sits on the throne, he will dwell by them. And they will not be hungry nor thirsty, and burning heat in the sun will not smite them. For the Lamb will lead them to a well of waters, and Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim will wipe off the tears from all the faces. And I will end it there, and hand it off to Noah for commentary. One of the things that I've really grown to love about our Sabbath gatherings is that I get to hear all the commentary of what Rob and Michael have dished up over the week. And of course, I don't know what they're going to be talking on. And I don't want to, of course, steal their thunder. I'm, I'm up first talking about this tonight. 
And you guys will have to forgive me, but I'm going to go full retard mud flood on this tonight. I've been trying to hold back on our Sabbath talks because I recognize that people on YouTube land. Now, everyone here in the room, when I talk about the mud flood or the millennial kingdom, you guys know contextually what I'm talking about. But when this goes out to YouTube land, there will be people who are going to go, oh, it's going to like go up in their 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 search whatever oh what there's there's a hebrew revelation and they're going to tune into this and they're going to hear me talking about the millennial kingdom as something that has happened and they're gonna be like you know what you're talking about willis you know they're, they're gonna be like they're not gonna have a context for it and they're gonna write in the comment section uh the, you know, the millennial kingdom hasn't happened yet you know and it really you know I, I get that almost every week someone will write a comment um and so i try to hold back but this is one of those where uh, <laughs> yeah, he put in the full retard, um, the, the gif there. And I, I had said that, of course, on Robski, uh, not Robski, but I'm sorry, uh, Zen Garcia's uh, show when I was on there a month or so ago that I went full retard, uh, mud flood. But this, this week we're dealing with 144,000. And personally, I think people way overcomplicate their identity. I think it's in her face. I think we try to look for clever interpretations of what these people are. Um, but I, I think that the most obvious answer is the most simple one of who these people are. But the problem with that is that it, it once again, it, it makes revelation out to be something that has already happened. And the hundred, these 144,000 from these 12 tribes, in my opinion, okay, in my humble opinion, are simply the lost sheep of Yasharel, who Yahusha said he was coming for. Yeah, he went to, to Yehuda, but he said he is coming for the lost sheep. And these, these numbered from every single tribe. Think about it like this. All right. If you were from the tribe, let's just pick a random tribe. Let's say uh, Issachar or Naphtali. Or, you know, here, here's a badass name, Asher. You come from the tribe of Asher. And you're in the Roman world. You're up in, uh, I don't know, France. You know, you're, you're, you're far away from, um, from Judah. And you have the unpleasant news of finding out that the Messiah came. And, well, that's, that's not the unpleasant part. That's exciting. And you're like, oh, really? The Messiah's here? I want to go see him. And it's like, oh, sorry, he died. Uh, but he resurrected, but he died. It's like, okay, where is he? Oh, he ascended back to heaven. Like, what? I don't get to see the Messiah? But when you go through the the epistles, the letters being written to the churches, he, and they're telling them the Messiah came, they're also saying in the same letters, guess what, guys? He's coming back for you in this generation. He's, you're going to see him. That was their hope. Even if they missed him the first time, they were still looking forward to seeing him again. And so when I see the 144,000, I see these as the completion, you know, the gospel, the true gospel, the good news of his kingdom has gone out. And the kingdom, I mean, the, 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 the message that the, the Messiah has come, he has been crucified, but he has resurrected from the dead and that he is bringing in his kingdom. And one of those, so we see, of course, the the qualifiers later on in in Revelation for those who are going to reign with the um, with the Messiah in the kingdom when it comes down to earth, and it's those who were beheaded or were killed for the testimony of His name. Well, what is what is one of the people who we know 
what what appears uh, died of the twelve would be Kepha. Kepha in the Gospel of Canon, the discussion is going down between Yahusha and Kepha, and he's like, "Will you stretch out my arms for me?" And he, you know, Kepha says, "Well, what about Yochanan?" And he's like, "Well, what is it to you if he uh, lives to my return?" But Kepha most likely was killed for the testimony of Yahusha. Now, these might be fighting words for some, but I'm going to throw Kepha into one of the 144,000. I think he was numbered among them. He died for the testimony of Messiah. And, you know, the, the six seals have gone down. The, the, contextually, the seventh seal has not come yet. And sometimes I look at places like St. Peter's Basilica. Now, this is going to freak people out on YouTube land who have no clue contextually what I'm talking about, about the mud flood. Uh, research mud flood, everybody. <laughs> Just research Bud Flood. Uh, I look at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, and I wonder, what if that's truth in plain sight? Guys, what if that was really St. Peter's house? Just food for thought. And um, I think that's maybe what I want to... I have more I want to talk on, but I'm going to pass it over to uh, Rob. Okay, I was... Uh, I was... I was uh, trenched into what you were saying there. I was enjoying it. Um, I am going to uh, speak about, let's see here, the four messengers, four corners of the earth. Uh, that, and regarding that, let me, let me drop this in, in the chat. Okay. So regarding this, is. We have four messengers at the four corners of the earth. All right. And in here it says that, and, and they were holding back the four winds of the earth so that there would be, there would not be wind on the earth or on the waters or on any tree. Uh, do not damage the earth, sea, or trees until a mark is placed upon the foreheads of the 144,000 servants of Yahweh. And what I wanted to point out here is this this term of four corners of the earth, and uh, as you see, I, I put in some little picture diagram on there just for visuals. Uh, it's not what I believe the earth looks like; it's just uh, for visuals. It is uh, uh, regarding uh, Ezekiel seven two, and you, son of man, this is what Adon Yahweh says to the land of Israel. Uh, an end, the end is coming on the four corners of the land. Isaiah 40, 22. Is it he who sits upon the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to live in? And then Deuteronomy twenty two twelve. Make tassels on the four corners of the garment which you cover yourself. So if anyone doesn't fully understand full four corners, I did want to point that out in regards to this, that even though you have the motionless plane as described as a circle of the earth, four corners can be uh, positioned anywhere. And then even the four corners of a garment, uh, if you had a garment that was even circular, you just put four points on it, you would use that as just the term as four corners. You're covering each opposite side on four different positions. So I, I just wanted to point that out in regards to that, and then I'm and then I'm going to talk uh, next on 
This one here is the 144,000 uh, servants, the great multitude, and the throne. Regarding the 144,000, and I'm going to go a little deeper on them. <laughs> uh, is the mark that is placed on their foreheads uh, for the servants of Yahweh. And that mark, it states in Revelation 14, uh, his name, having his name, Yeshua, and the name of the Father written on their foreheads. And I hope Michael and Noel go deeper into this, but uh, uh, I have another slide, and I'll, I'll hold that one off later uh, on this. But the this seal, this mark, is more like a, uh, if, you, if you will, in my opinion, a seal of possession. Uh, you know, a mark of that. And we belong to the Most High. And that, that seal has the Father's name and the Son's name on it. Now, the great multitude says it's innumerable from all nations standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white garments. And we, we talked about this multiple chapters and about the white garments of righteousness. And in the hands were branches, and they cried out a great voice and said, Salvation belongs to Yahweh and, and, the, and to the Lamb. Those who come from the midst of much suffering, and they had washed their garments and purified the garments with the blood of the Lamb. So once again, their garments were purified and washed uh, through the blood of the Lamb for the righteousness. Uh, and the, th this great multitude also has access to the closest proximity to the Father on the throne to serve him, if you notice that. So it, it's like uh, all those who have come to the Father, who have, who have lived and died in faith in him, have this intimate relationship with him. And now the throne, a couple points. I know we talked about throne, uh, I think it was last week, and, and, and there was a, another a week that we did this. Just following up on this is that uh, in Psalms 89.14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. So we obviously can, can understand that the throne is that righteousness and justice. It's, it's like the foundation uh, is righteousness and justice. So if if we are living in our lives thinking that uh, uh, righteousness and justice is is not does not exist, it does. And our our focus is the salvation that is in in Yeshua, and that we we walk it in in through repentance, our belief and our faith uh, to attain that righteousness. Uh, the one okay, so regarding the throne, the one sitting on the throne appearance was like sapphire and jasper with a bow of turquoise around the throne, lightning, thunderings, and voices come forth from the throne. We read that in chapter four, so picture that also on this throne when it's mentioned here uh, with the uh, great multitude around it, with the, the type of pictorial view of, of this. So I just wanted to add that on regards to what was read, and then I'll circle back around before any more thunder is taken here. Michael? Uh, no, you didn't do too bad that time, that go around. Um, so I've kind of hinted at the 144,000 in my previous Revelation studies. Um, uh, if you want to hear kind of my take on that, go to the when we talk about Revelation 3. 
I'm going to speak more on a high level this this go around. So um, I'm going to start with number two. So I'm going to read both, and this is the Greek. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. Now reading the Hebrew. Then I saw another messenger, which came from the rising of the sun, and he had the seal of the living El, and he imposed and cried out with a great voice to the four messengers, to whom it was given to damage the earth and the sea. So I was reading, and we're ta- you know we're talking about the seals and the 144,000. So I read a commentary that said, a signet ring used to press its image into wax melted on a document implies authenticity and ownership and protected the contents. And that's what I think, you know, that's what these these saints that are being sealed are. It's ownership. It's ownership of the Most High and His Son. And they are protected, as the, as we all know. They're the first fruits. Um, so I want to mention the rising of the sun in the Hebrew. That's, that's awesome. So now I want to talk about the encampment of the tribes of Israel in the wilderness. So the first grouping of the tribes in the wilderness encampment would face east and the rising of the sun. It's the same thing, guys. So they would be the first to leave the camp. Next in line to leave would be, in a clockwise fashion, the tribes of the south side, then those in the west, and finally those facing the north. Let me read it for you. Numbers 2-3. Now those in the camp on the east side towards the sunrise shall be of the flag of the camp of Judah by their armies and the leader of the sons of Judah, Nashon, the son of Amenadab. So it's, it's you know, Father, Yah doesn't change. You know, this is the same thing. The pe- people that are rising from the east, rising of the sun, go first. And that's how it is with 144,000. Um, number three, I'm going to read both. Saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And in the Hebrew, and he said, do not damage the earth or the sea or the trees until I place a mark on the foreheads of the servants of Yahweh. So I just, again, highlight the differences. Uh, it's, we have sealed in the Greek. And then in Hebrew, says, I placed a mark. It's a big difference. Um, I want to read uh, of Ezekiel's mark in Ezekiel 9, 4 through 6. Um, and the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and make a mark on the foreheads of the people who groan, this is important, who groan and sigh over all the abominations which are being committed in its midst. But to the others, he said in my presence, go through the city after him and strike. Do not let your eye have pity and do not spare. Utterly kill old men, young, young men, female virgins, little children and women, but do not touch any person on whom is the mark and you shall start from my sanctuary. Sounds like a Passover mark, you know, the blood on their doorpost. But I just want to again highlight those who are protected groan and sigh over all the abominations which are being committed. I think, you know, we all need to do another study on the abominations of Yah and how important they are to him. So the list of the 12 of the tribes in Revelation 7. So I want to point out why it's odd for several reasons. And it could, are we hinting at multiple events again? So um, the tribe of Dan is missing, but it is included in Ezekiel 48. The tribe of Ephraim is missing from this Revelation 7, but it is included in Ezekiel 48. The tribe of Joseph is included in Revelation 7, but it's missing in Ezekiel 48. The tribe of Levi is included. Again, it's missing in Ezekiel 48. What are we talking about here? Are these multiple events? I'll let you guys be the judge, or maybe we can talk about it when we open it up. And then finally, and I'll pass it over to Noel, and this is where I'm going to do more of a high level on the 144,000. Um, so Yochanan calls 144,000 servants. 
servants the prophets and servants of God in the book of Revelation. That's very telling, guys. That's very telling. Serving brotherly love. You know, Luke says you need to be the one serving, not the one reclining at the table. Um, the four angels do not hurt the earth until the 144,000 are sealed. They are protected. The 144,000 will be first to receive the seal of God. They will be presented to God as first fruits of the great tribulation. They will not be defiled with women, and they will travel with Yeshua wherever he goes. Revelation 14.4. A few more. Unlike the numberless multitude who come out of the Great Tribulation, the 144,000 will be numbered. Very similar to what I read earlier about you know, the encampment, the tribes encampment in the wilderness. Um, where am I? The 144,000 will experience and endure the sufferings of Christ. They will be honored above the rest of the redeemed. No one else will be able to sing their song, Revelation 14, 1 and 3. Three more. No lie or falsehood will be found in the mouths of the 144,000. 144,000 will visibly wear the names of the Father and the Son on their forehead throughout eternity. And finally, 144,000 will be descendants of Abraham. We already talked about being grafted in to this holy family. Um, I will split it up there and hand it off to Noel. I'm really intrigued by the comparison and contrast to Ezekiel 48, or at least what you had mentioned, because I'm going to have to go back in and read Ezekiel 48 and see that for myself and, and see, if see perhaps how we're looking at two different events. Um, before I get into some of my, my return thought process here to the Millennial Kingdom, Mudflat, and so on and so forth, I want to piggyback off one thing you said about coming from Abraham. Because in the Greek in verse 9, it says that, lo and behold, uh, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, but then the Greek adds this, and kindreds and people and tongues. Whereas the Hebrew doesn't say that. It just says they're coming from all nations. And that makes sense contextually in understanding the lost sheep of Israel. These are the lost sheep of Israel coming from these tribes, but they're not necessarily of all people. And, you know, you could say they spoke maybe different tongues than Hebrew. I mean, duh. I mean, you go to these, some of these countries, people can re speak five languages. But it's, it's a little bit different of a, uh, of a understanding from all different kindreds and people. Hopefully everyone can kind of see what I'm, I'm saying there. Now, last week we went through Revelation 6. And I showed how the first six seals line up perfectly with Matthew 24. The fifth seal is of the dead under the, um, under the altar, and they are told to wait a little bit longer. And yet here we see these 144,000. Now, the sixth seal has already happened, and that is where the glorious appearing of in Revelation, it's the Lamb that all all the nations of you know all the elites, our controllers, they all see it and they try to hide from the wrath of the Lamb, and that is also seen in Matthew twenty four, and they line up perfectly. So now we have moved beyond that event of the glorious appearing, and all of a sudden we're seeing these hundred and forty four thousand and this number beyond count also in, in front of the throne, and I am completely willing to be wrong here. 
I know that these are fighting words and people are really grounded in there. They've got their charts on Revelation and they've got it all figured out. They've got the three and a half and the three and a half, the seven years and how it all plays out with Daniel's timeline and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, when the, the, the Antichrist arrives and when the Mark of the Beast arrives and all this kind of stuff. But I am going to suggest from all the scripture that I have been able to pull within canon and extra biblical, and I have done this before, I've suggested this before when I laid out my timeline about a month or two ago, that there is about 500 years between the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, which ends the, um, I think it's the sixth week, according to, or is it the fifth or the sixth week, according to Enoch, that there is an, a week of apostasy leading up to the ushering of the Millennial Kingdom, in which the 144,000, I believe, are the, the ones that rule on the earth. So I am suggesting that there is a time jump between chapter 6, chapter 7, and going into chapter 8, where we're going to see the seventh seal opened and then the trumpet blast. And in those four to 500 years, it's kind of interesting when you look at the literature and people are anticipating this, this wrath coming. It's like, it's like people are still anticipating the, 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 the or really the bowls of wrath coming, whereas the seals have already been opened. Um, one other thing that I want to point out, and of course, this is all, all for your, your guys' consideration. One other thing I do want to point out, and I've, I've brought this up so many times that I, I don't know if I should even mention this again, because some of you are going to be sighing here like, oh, not this again. But for anyone listening to this for the first time online, I am going to be turning to BibleBot, and hopefully it has this passage from 2nd Ezra. There it is. Boom. And 2nd Ezra sees this exact same scene in heaven. And in in second Ezra, though, or maybe it's it's very similar. It seems like the exact same scene to me. Here it says in front of his throne in Revelation, but in second Ezra, it talks about uh, them standing on Mount Zion, and this is what Ezra sees. I Ezra saw upon the Mount of uh, Zion a great people whom I could not number. Remember, John just said the same thing, and they all praise Yahuwah with songs. And in the, and in the midst of them, there was a young man of a high stature. Now keep in mind that. Um, in my study on the glorious appearing of Yahushua HaMashiach, the witnesses that were on the earth in 68-6 AD report seeing a man of great stature amongst the armies of heaven. Okay, we all know who that man of high stature is. And of course, it tells us right here who he is, so in a few verses. This man of high stature, he was taller than all the rest, and upon every one of their heads he set crowns and was more exalted which I marveled at greatly. So I asked the angel, said, Sir, what are these? And he answered and said to me, These be they that have put off the mortal clothing and put on the immortal, so they are now resurrected, and have confessed the name of Elohim. Now are they crowned and receive palms. And that, the palms are really interesting because we see the same thing when Yahushua rides into Yerushalayim on the, on the donkey and they're, they're throwing down the palms. Then said I unto the angel, What young person is that? That crown at them. It's interesting. I don't remember in my translation saying young person, but that, that kind of threw me off right there. Uh, and giveth them palms in their hands. So he answered and said unto me, It is the son of Elohim, whom they have confessed in the world. Then began I greatly to commend them that stood so stiffly for the name of Yahuwah. Now keep in mind that when Ezra is writing this, this is 400 years before Messiah. He even says so. 
And so these people who are confessing the son of Elohim, this is the generation of those who, as we saw in John 17, he prays for the 12, his disciples, and those who would be directly affected by the 12. And that's what we see right here. Those who are affected by the 12 who have confessed his name in the world. There's one other thing that I do want to talk about, but I don't think, I don't think Robert Michael will steal my thunder on this. So <laughs> I'll, wait for, I'll wait for the next round because I don't want to uh, take too long on this. But I will return to what I believe uh, this passage here in Revelation 6 has to say about some things we can observe on the earth in terms of the lifestyles of the rich and famous or the 144,000. So back to you, Rob. All right, thanks, Noel. Um, I'll, I'll comment on some, some of the things that were just mentioned uh, before I drop another slide in here. But uh, regarding uh, Michael's point on uh, Ezekiel 9 and the descendants of Abraham, uh, that's one thing that we, we current, uh, continuously see is the children of Yah, the descendants of Abraham, uh, the children of Yasharel, and being grafted in and where mainstream uh christianity will use the terms of um, um born again gentiles or, or you know th those terms and stuff and it's like uh that's it, it's it's not mentioned in the bible you know it's it's not even anywhere there so it's just it's just something that uh, i wanted to follow up on descendants of abraham and children of Israel, children of Yah, etc. If if anyone does not understand that, uh, then I wanted to speak about. No, you mentioned the the throne, the believers underneath the throne in the previous chapter that we were reading, and something that I think I I touched on, but I wanted to do a a better presentation on it, and eventually I will. But when we were talking about the stars the luminaries in the firmament representing uh the scriptures will will mention that they represent either angels uh priests and believers and looking at the the revelation uh i think it was six when we're talking about the believers asking you know how much longer underneath the throne well underneath the throne is the firmament and in the firmament is the luminaries so these are the luminaries asking how much longer uh, with all of this that's going on. So that's I just wanted to follow back up on that comment with the throne, with the luminaries, with the believers. And, and then I'll drop here in the chat my last piece on the uh, 144,000 with the mark. And here what, what I put together is this mark being placed on the foreheads of the 144,000 servants of Yahweh. It's a seal or a signia. It's a mark of ownership. And I know Michael uh, uh, came back to that and, and discussed it. And a few points here. It, this, this mark or seal has his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. I, I mentioned that earlier. And, and then also we have in Ephesians, we have 2 Corinthians and 2 Timothy and 1 Corinthians, uh, some more discussion on, on seals. Uh, in him, this is uh, Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Ruach HaKodesh of the promise, 
who is a first installment of your inheritance in regard to the redemption of Yah's own possession to praise of his glory. And a couple things to point out is you know, believing you are now sealed in him with the Ruach HaKodesh of promise, who is, a, who is a first installment of your inheritance. So this is just the, the first installment. So you receive this. What you don't want to do is reject it or get rid of it or throw it away or, you know, uh, or let it go. You want to hold on to it. And by holding on to it, you must continuously walk in it. And that's something that is a little is obviously different than the once saved always saved uh, position, uh, where you say a prayer, you have this belief, and that's that's it. Well, uh, if you continue in that, you maintain it because it's an installment. Uh, third here, Yah, who also sealed us and gave us the ruach in our hearts as a pledge. Once again, this is confirming. It's a pledge. It's something that we are told we will have, but it's not necessarily a, you know, once done deal guarantee. It's, it's a pledge. It's an installment. Number four, however, the solid foundation of Elohim stands firm. Having this seal, Yahweh knows those who are his. And let everyone who's, who names the name of Messiah turn away from unrighteousness. Turn away from unrighteousness. It's, it's literally telling you that. So if you are his, you should be turning away, repenting, turning away from it, uh, continuously doing so. Uh, and then fifth and lastly, do you not know that your body is the dwelling place of the set-apart spirit who is in you? which you have from Elohim, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, esteem Elohim in your body and in your spirit, which are Elohim. There was a price put upon you. You, you were sealed. There was a price put upon you, so you were sealed. So we have to understand that with that price and that seal, we are to walk in it and stay in it until our last breath, uh, to be in front of him and in glory. So I wanted to follow up with that regarding the mark, the seal of the 144,000 servant and put my, that spin or that angle on it. And then uh, I'll pass it over to Michael and roundtable this further. Michael? Sure, thank you for that. Um, just have a few cross-references, nothing crazy to End it for Revelation. Um, let's start off at number nine, reading both. So he, the Greek first. After this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And in the Hebrew. And after this, I saw a great company, which one is not able to number, from all the nations, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white garments, and in their hands were branches. And Noel kind of mentioned it, but I just want to, again, highlight the differences. Um, there is, it's, you know, instead of the great multitude, it's called the great company. So there's a set-apart in the multitude, but it's a set-apart in the great company. And as Noel mentioned, there's no kindreds and peoples and tongues in the Hebrew. He kind of hit on that. Uh, that's all I'll say on that. 
Um, robes and garments are different, and then palms and branches are different. Sure, tomato, tomato, but I just want to po point out the difference. Speaking on the palms, I want to talk about Leviticus 23.40. Now on the first day, you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches and branches of trees, with thick branches and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Um, number 12, I'm just going to read the Greek. And said, Lauding and thanksgiving and praises and honor and glory and power and strength be to our Elohim from everlasting and unto everlasting. Amen. I just want to say that I found out that this is the only instance in the New Testament of a prayer beginning and ending with Amen. So I thought that was awesome. Um, uh, only three more, number 14, and I'm not going to steal those thunder at all. Um, read both. So I'm going to read the Greek first. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And in the Greek, or in the Hebrew, sorry. So I said to him, Adon, you know. And he said to me, They are those who come from the midst of much suffering. And they have washed their garments and purified their garments with the blood of the Lamb. Another big difference, you know, it's not called the great tribulation. I have not checked Matthew 24 in the Hebrew, but in Revelation or Confidential Council, it's, it's midst of much suffering. You know, <laughs> I'll put a, a lot of dampering on a lot of people's eschatology, at least on the, you know, the name of them, the name of it. Um, purify their garments is in the Hebrew, it's not in the Greek. And I just want to read a cross reference. And I'm not sure how to take this, but it, it could be multiple events. But um, Zechariah 13, 8 and 9. And it will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. You know, it kind of it kind of is wheat and tares, I guess. Um, Two-thirds will be cut off, six-six, and then one is refined, uh, great tribulation, miss them much suffering, and they will call on his name. Uh, two more things. Number 16, I'll just read the Hebrew. And they will not be hungry, nor thirsty, and burning heat, and the sun will not smite them. Isaiah 49, 10. They will not hunger or thirst, nor will the, will the scorching heat or sun strike them down. For he who has compassion on them will lead them, and he will guide them to springs of water. Hallelujah, it's amazing. And then finally, if you've been following me um, throughout these studies, I love number patterns. This is just another one. So there's always, I'm finding patterns of sevens with one being set apart. Seven spirits in Isaiah 11, wisdom in my opinions, a set apart spirit. Seven days in the week, Shabbat, set apart day. Seven days, one set apart. Seven churches in Revelation, Philadelphia is the set apart church. Enoch was seventh from Adam. He was our pots that are taken up, set apart out of the seven. And then this one, 144,000 are in the chapter seven of Revelation. <laughs> That's amazing. Why? That's not a coincidence. So there's seven chapters in Revelation, 144,000 is the set apart. That's all I got, and I'll hand it off to Noel. That was a great connection you made on, or uh, I'm hearing or, myself and somebody's, okay. Okay. All right, thank you. All right, yeah, that was a great uh, observation you made on verse, well, yeah, verse 14, where they come out of verses, 
verses coming out of the Great Tribulation, they come out of much suffering. So that was a really great observation. Now, what I wanted to to highlight was the very ending, where I think Michael knew where I was going with that. And verse 16, it says this, well, let me start in verse 15. They have just come out of much suffering. They have put on these, they have washed their garments and purified their garments with the blood of the lamb. And then it says this, and because of this, what I had just mentioned, they are before the throne of Yahuwah and serve him day and night. And he who sits on the throne, he will dwell by them. And they will not be hungry nor thirsty and burning heat in the sun will not smite them. Now, I'm going to stop there before I get to 17, because I'm going to spend my most of my time right now on verse 17. Some of you are going to think this might be a stretch, but I actually don't think it is. And I, I'm really um, glad that Michael has already shown similar verses in Isaiah and others. But it says here that they will not be hungry nor thirsty. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't need to eat or drink um, like they that. You know, that they're not going to eat or drink again. Surely they eat and drink. But it's interesting that they're not going to ever be hungry or thirsty again. And this is describing what we have been looking at with the type of people that have inhabited this greater realm during the Millennial Kingdom, the post mud flood society, these people in these homes that we have been observing that they don't need to eat or to poop, or they don't need um, to be warmed. And it says, of course, in burning heat and the sun will not smite them. I guess it could, you, you know, the contrast, the opposite of that is that they won't be frostbitten either. But I find that really interesting. And so think about that in terms of these, these, um, these people who have been persecuted, who have come out of it, and they are going to be, we will be seeing later on in Revelation, all these people who will be priests and kings with him in his kingdom when it comes down to the earth. Now let's continue on to verse 17, because I'm going to contrast this with the Odes of Solomon. For the Lamb will lead them to a well of waters, and Yahuwah Elohim will wipe off the tears from all faces. And this is, of course, Yahushua talks about how he is living waters and all this kind of stuff. But it's interesting that we're seeing a connection already with them on uh, thirst, hunger, burning heat, and now well of waters. So I'm going to read from the Odes of Solomon. And for anyone who needs a little caught up on where I'm at with the Odes of Solomon, this, the Odes of Solomon, the people who write, who wrote this book, identified themselves as people who were in Sheol. They were in Sheol when Yahushua showed up there, some of them. They resurrected with him. They, have, I, they went to paradise. The writers of the Odes of Solomon identify themselves as people who were in paradise, who have been to paradise, but they're apparently now on the earth. And they, they also claim a number of things, like they were with Yahushua when he came in and conquered the earth. And you're like, well, when did that happen? All right, now this is referring to a study we did a couple months ago. All right, so let's read Ode 6 and see what this has to, um, how this talks about water. Starting in verse 1, As the wind glides through the harp and the strings speak, so the Ruach of Yahuwah speaks through my members, and I speak through his love. For he destroys whatever is alien, and everything is of Yahuwah. For thus it was from the beginning and will be until the end, so that nothing shall be contrary and nothing shall rise up against him. Yahuwah has multiplied his knowledge, and he was zealous 
that those things should be known which through his grace has been given to us. Uh, I haven't gotten there yet. I'm almost there. And his praise he gave us on account of his name, our Ruach's praise, his Ruach HaKodesh. And here we go. For there went forth a stream. Now keep in mind, this is past tense. For there went forth a stream, and it became a river, great and broad. Indeed, it carried away everything, and it shattered and brought it to the temple. And um, this is similar to what we see, the, the river going forth from the temple in heaven as well. And the, barriers, and the barriers which were built by men were not able to restrain it, nor even the arts of them who habitually restrain water. So now we're seeing these waters come to the earth, and the barriers built up by men, it overcame them. For its, and it, then it actually says, for it spread, these waters, it spread over the surface of all the earth, and it filled everything. Now we need to ask ourselves, when did that happen? The, just, so we know, just so you guys know, this is not referring to Noah's flood. All right, This is a time post-Messiah when the waters spread over the surface of the earth. Well, let's keep reading. I need to jump down a little bit here. Then, this is where it gets really good. Then all the thirsty upon the earth drank. And thirst was relieved and quenched. Remember, they're not going to thirst anymore, right? For from the Most High, the drink was given. It already happened. All right, let's see what else we can find in the same chapter. Blessed, therefore, are the ministers of that drink who have been entrusted with his water. So there are some, um, I believe, these that are speaking about in Revelation chapter uh, 7 that have been entrusted with his drink, with his water. And they are dispensers of it. They have refreshed the parched lips and have aroused the paralyzed will. Even living persons who were about to expire, they have held back from death. So there were people, when they came down, who they were going to die. and They gave them the, the, the elixir of life. They gave them this water. And limbs which have collapsed, they have restored and set up. They gave strength for the, their coming and light for their eyes, because everyone recognized them as Yahuwahs and lived by the living water of eternity. Hallelujah. Now there's there's more we can go into on this living water, which I don't want to, but it, it's really interesting when you when we look at out at all these buildings and these cities all over the earth. We talk about star forts. We know star forts like off the Florida coast, uh, off Pensacola, off some of these places, and then there's star fort forts all over the earth on, on the oceans, but we also don't recognize often that all the star fort cities, like Paris is a star fort. It actually is a star fort. It's amazing. And one thing these star forts all have in common is that they're all based off of water. They have water canals all through them. You go to Venice and just water canals everywhere. You see these uh, beautiful gardens with you know symmet uh, symmetry and, and water. And, and, and there is something about these this water of life, these wells of water that they were dispensers of. And so I just want to give you that picture there. For those of you who have been following along in this research um, of these people who populated the earth, in these two verses here, I think that they give us a stunning view of what the, what it was like for this 144,000 living on the earth. And then, of course, on the flip of that, when the mud flood happened and the controllers come in and they take over everything and they just dismantle and destroy and, and you know, they don't want us to... Uh, they don't want us to be healthy. They want us to be sick. They don't want us to have these waters of, you know, rejuvenation and all that kind of stuff. It's just really interesting to see that flip. So I could go on talking about that forever, but um, hopefully you guys got a taste of what I was thinking. And I actually want to, I, I hope in, in the very near future to do a, a complete presentation one night on, on these uh, set-apart saints who are on the earth and how they were dispensers of 
of health to the nations and what the role was. But anyways, back to you, Rob. That's all, that's all I actually have on this uh, chapter tonight. So, Rob, Michael, you guys take it away, and then we could roundtable it. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, that's all I had to add other than uh, following up with what you were saying. But I was enjoying listening to where you're going with that uh, and talking about the those who lived. I really do think that the prophets, Esdras, Isaiah, Ezekiel, all, all the prophets, and Baruch and all these books, um, that it would be nice to be able to compare them and see their discussions about the future apocalyptic events and how how they compare with each other because they may all be prophesying about different events in some sort in some fashion so uh that's it for me for now and and go over to michael and go from there michael uh i'm done as well if i guess we can read fire medic's question uh, i don't really have much to add on it but if the sun and moon were ashamed for obeying the beast are they still conflicted or ashamed do we have any answers for that? And if not, maybe we can roundtable it and open it up for other questions. Did I miss the context on that? You want to speak up, Eric? I'm sorry, I can't remember the verses that um, that speak about how the the sun and the moon. I guess listened or or hearkened to the the voice of the beast at some point in time during the tribulation. Um, so that that's that's what I was going with it. Um, does anybody have anything on that? I, I don't know why it popped in my head. It just did. Well, that's why I was trying to get the context of it in Revelation because yeah. I. I I know of the passage in the Genesis Targum where it says that the moon diminished in light because it had given a false report of the sun. And that comes from Genesis 1 or 2, in the, I think Genesis 1 actually in the Targum. And uh, then I've read elsewhere that the sun and the, in the Gospel of uh, Bartholomew, that the sun and the moon were a representation of Adam and Eve and, and the moon being feminine. Uh, you know, kind of a milky, graceful light. But I, I, that's why I asked for your context on uh, the sun and the moon being ashamed for being the beast. I don't, I don't remember reading that. I don't know if, if Robert Michael brought that up tonight and I missed it. No, I was going to say basically what you just said. That's all I'm aware of when, when it comes to the sun and moon. Yeah, I don't know why it popped in my head. It just did. I, I, I For some reason, I was thinking it was in Revelations and it was... Um, it was at some point um, during the beast reign or something where he was doing signs and wonders or whatever in the, the sun and the moon or one or the other hearkened to his commands. So Okay. Well, I, I can say that um, I have, when it comes to understanding this timeline and everything, I have a lot to work out and... I would be interested because I'm really because I haven't done a study yet on the 144,000 specifically, and I would really like to pull all these different scriptures together and see if if we're looking at the same thing or different events. And one of the the biggest complaints I get from people, I told you guys I was going you know unapo unapologetically full you know retard mud flood tonight. One of the biggest complaints I get from people is they ask these questions. Well, you know, can you explain such and such? And I'm like, 
well, why don't you explain it? You know, why? I mean, one of the things that I have a lot, uh, and other people that are looking into this, I have a lot of work cut out for me. There are so many questions I have, and it's because I have these questions that has driven me to find, look for answers. And I guess that's just my nature. When I have questions, I don't go to such and such person and go, why don't you explain this to me? And if you can't explain it to me, that's proof that this is all, you know, a deception. And it's like, I, I am seeking these answers. and I have tons of questions and a lot more answers to seek out. But this is one of the things why the elite, they're really not that concerned, guys. They're really not. Like, um, they know that there was actually a quote. If you saw the recent Matrix movie, the Matrix Res Resurrections, and no, no critique on the movie itself, but the the villain in the, in the movie talks about how they're really not concerned about the people uh, waking up to the truth because they know human nature. It, it's too much work. It's too much work to seek out the truth, and eventually you just succumb to being, you know, complacent with the lie. Like, you know, it's like a, a steady diet of red and blue pill. You go for both because it's a red, you know, red pill diet is too much. Um, and in this mud flood conversation millennial kingdom there are so many hurdles to overcome that like it it would it if someone isn't willing to look at this themselves and be okay asking questions and not knowing all the answers um they're never going to get there they're never going to see it so uh, i don't know why i feel yeah. the need to say that but it, it just so everybody listening is that it's like you guys can you guys can seek this stuff out too and pass notes to me and be like, hey, Noel, this is what I discovered. This is what I think, and here's why. Look at these. Let's put these scripture verses together and see what they say. And I, I, I hope I've been, I've been trying really hard to do presentations where I instead of just using my imagination of what I think happened through photographs, like I'm actually showing scripture and say, well, let's look at this and, and put something together and see what this says in this context. And I, I hope you know, I hope everyone has been able to, you know, process some of that stuff. So go ahead, Rob, you're going to say something. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you that uh, they're, they're, I'm sure everybody, most people listening will have a encounter multiple ones where you explain something to someone. I mean, just take a conspiracy theory out there or any, or the scriptures and you explain your position and they disagree with you and, and they just drop it. They don't, care uh especially if you're talking salvation or eternal life or something really impactful or how, you know how to live your life uh uh you know more about yeah more about this world etc what you're being lied to and some people show interest but there's no drive to um do much about it i that's what i see a lot uh out there and then the few that i do come across that you know, get intrigued and, and you could see the light come on and, and next thing you know, they're doing the research and all of this stuff. And, and those are the ones that I think um, are the ones that we need to invest more, more time with, so to speak, because as it says, you know, we can tell and warn the world and those who hear the, the voice of the shepherd will respond. And, and not to say talking about a conspiracy is, 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 is it, but talking about the word and the truth, uh, that should perk their ears. So I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. The Church of Laodicea is kind of interesting because it actually, now in the Greek, it, 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 uh, when it talks about lukewarm, it's actually using a, a phrase that denotes hibernation. And 
uh, the, the Church of Laodicea, they're like, you know, the thing is about the Bible is that we use the word conspiracy, but it, it, it's a conspiracy theorist book. And again, I know that conspiracy theory was created by the CIA. It's a weapon against us, that kind of stuff. But it's, it, it, it's a conspiracy theorist book. Like what my presentation this next Thursday on uh, on the Edomites and how that ties in with the Gog Magog invasion. Um, it's all throughout Scripture, and it, the prophets are telling you information on the Edomites. They're saying it straight out, and the official narrative refuses to. And it's like, why is that? Why are they saying things in Scripture that you have to disagree with the official narrative to agree with this? And Oh, Michael, no. Um, I actually, I didn't get bumped from Zen Show. It turns out they double booked. And so <laughs> it, it turns out, yeah, I was I was scheduled to go on Zen. And Zen can't wait. He's really looking forward to this interview um, because it's been buzz talk over there. They're all talking about it. People are writing in, freaking out. And they want to put me on sooner rather than later. But I got bumped back, I think, to March 3rd. That was the next available slot he had. And uh, they already they already had somebody else uh, scheduled on the show that I was on. So, uh, But anyways, so going back to Laodicea, when it comes to this stuff, the, this church of Laodicea, they became complacent in their hibernation. Right, like it, the it's like uh, from the movie They Live, where he puts on the glasses and he sees everywhere. You know, stay asleep, go back to sleep. Right, that's the message they're feeding us all the time. They want us to keep binge watching Netflix shows. You know, the the Mandalorian and Yellowstone and all these different things that are just coming down the turnpike. And I had something. Oh yeah, so what you were saying, Rob, is that you were describing a successful business. Right, and I've probably said this before. Apologize, apologies for giving it again. This analogy, but if if anybody here wants to set up a business, and I have to think in these terms for my writing crew and who I'm going to uh, talk to and spend my time um, uh, in discussion with, it, it could be a taco stand, it could be any analogy. But I open up a business, and I'm going to recognize that 30% of the people are going to like what I'm selling. 30% of the people are not sure if they like or dislike what I'm selling. And the other 30% uh, are going to hate, or I should say not 30%, uh, the other third, you guys know what I'm saying, the one, two, three thirds. The other third of the population is going to hate what I'm selling. Now, if I spent all my time trying to convince the people that hate what I'm selling, because it's like, you know, it hurts my feelings, I'm going to fail as a business and I'm never going to sell anything. I need to exert all my energy towards the third of the people who are going to be receptive to what I'm dishing out. And most likely, I will never in my lifetime ever be able to exhaust that, uh, that third of the people. It's, it's like not going to happen. If for some miracle, I actually uh, I fish out all that third people then I'm going to spend the rest of my energy on the people who aren't sure yet. You know, I'm going to spend, you know, they can swing either way. But hopefully all of you can kind of think about that as you're dispensing the truth of Yahuwah's word to people and, you know, put your little, your little radar dish up. And if you're not sensing from people that they're receptive, that they're not interested in this, then just go to the next person. Don't spend your time arguing with them. It's a waste of your time and it's a waste of their time. And in a lot of ways, it, it makes it worse for them. So just yeah, find the person that's receptive and, and keep moving on. That's all I had to say on that.
Uh, you wanted to um, share an insight that I had on Revelation. Um, one Please moment. I... Okay, so I just... Um... Oh, my God. Okay, so if you can look at... Uh, I just posted something. So verse 9 and 10, uh, when I read them, um, they reminded me of Oshana Rabbah. I don't know if um, you know um, anything about that day. So I wrote it down. So the seventh and last day of Sukkot, Sukkot is the um, Feast of Trumpet, um, is called Shana Rabbah or the Great Salvation. And it's a climactic day of praise to the Lord that was also viewed by the rabbis as a mini Yom Kippur, the day on which the heavenly decrees made on Rosh Hashanah and sealed on Yom Kippur are actually sent out to be fulfilled. And during the temple period, willow branches were placed around the altar and a parade was made. Um, basically, all of the people uh, would um, circle the um, the altar um, and you know hold the willow branches in their hand and then they would um, um, kind of like praise the Lord and ask for um, this is like the last chance to ask for uh, salvation you know uh, before the decrees are sent out. Um, and Psalm 118 um, talks about it. So anyway, so when I read that, that those two verses, it really reminded me of Osha Naraba and what they, they were doing. And then I thought another, about another verse that always reminded me of Osha Naraba is Matthew 21, 9, uh, when um, they... Uh, followed uh, Yeshua, you know, all the, the multitudes followed Yeshua and cried out, Osana. And Osana is basically Oshana, okay, Oshana to the son of David. Um, blessed uh, is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Oshana in the highest. So all of this kind of like tied, tied together uh, for me. Awesome. Hey, Ronit, I wanted to ask you on <clears throat> the the first part on the seventh and last day of Sukkot, uh, or the Great Salvation. Uh, you have here the day on which the heavenly decrees made on Rosh Hashanah uh, and sealed on Yom Kippur are actually sent out to be fulfilled. What is actually sent out to be fulfilled? Okay, so in the in the Jewish tradition. Um, the, the 30 days before Rosh Hashanah, you are supposed to uh, pray daily for, um, ask for forgiveness for all of the sins that you sinned uh, the, the, the past 12 months uh, toward um, Yah and toward other people. Right. Um, and then at Rosh Hashanah, Yah, Yah basically determines uh, whether he's giving you or not. Okay. And then on Yom Kippur, this is your last chance basically to pray. And, and that's what Yom Kippur represents, you know, um, just 
begging for forgiveness for all of our sins. And then at, at the end of Yom Kippur, God basically seals his decision, his decree. Um, and on Oshana Rabbah, on the last day of Sukkot, uh, God sends his messengers to carry the decree. Okay, um, so they believed that um, this is basically the last of the last chances. And um, it, it was a whole ceremony with those branches and the priest would um, um, circle the altar. And uh, it was, it was a, a, big, uh, a big day in Jerusalem. Um, so whenever... Whenever I read the Matthew verse, I always thought it must have been in Sukkot, you know, because it kind of like, I mean, his salvation, Yeshua is salvation, and they are asking for the last chance of salvation on Oshana Rabba. Right. Okay, no, that, thanks for clarifying. Uh, and it goes back to the, the understand, at least my thought in the, uh, end time, whenever that may be, is that this will play out, that there will be a, a last day until the last person is sealed. And after after the last person is sealed, uh, then comes the final judgment upon this earth. So I, I follow along in that sense. So it makes sense to me. Mm hmm. I was just commenting on that this week. I'm trying to pull it up really quickly, and I'm not going to find it now that I want it. But I was reading in the uh, the Isaiah Targum uh, this last week as I'm researching the Gog Magog invasion, and I'm asking questions like, "Was is there one or two of them?" And my my current belief is that there are two of them. There is one that happened at one point in history, and then there is another event. And the first one is is something more centered on like this wrath of Yahuwah that comes on the nations and you know they're hiding in caves and that kind of stuff. And then there's a future event where they're actually what we see in Revelation, uh, where they're advancing upon the camp of Yah. And I, I was reading in Isaiah where it talked about what Hasatan is waiting for, for this invasion. And this really excited me. What he's waiting on to get all the nations to surround the camp of Yah and attack it is waiting on the sealing of the last soul. Uh, he can't do it until the, uh, you know, the last reservation is made. And so as we are as we are combating against the enemy, um, I mean, that's, that's really what we're doing. We're like, we're trying to um, work the harvest and bring in that last soul, you know, for the end to come. We want the end to come. Yeah. Like we want the end to come. We want, you know, we, we can't wait for eternity. We can't wait for Yah's kingdom to forever be on this earth for a new heaven and new earth. Like we need to get to work and we need to get out there and start, you know, working the harvest. That's what Satan is work waiting on. I agree. Michael asked a question to Ronit about uh, the Great Eighth Day. Do you have any input on the Great Eighth Day in regards to what you were just talking about above and how that may fit in with uh, 
uh, you touched on the Rosh Hashanah and and, and uh, the Day of Atonement, but how about the Sukkot with the Great Eighth Day? Did you get anything else out of that? Um, so you, you mean like the eighth day of Sukkot? Yeah, yeah, the Great Eighth Day, okay. yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that uh, day is called the uh, Simchat Torah, a, a joy of Torah. And on that day, uh, we start the cycle, the the 12-month cycle of reading the Torah uh, from Genesis chapter uh, 1 uh, through the last chapter of uh, Deuteronomy. So the, it, it symbolizes that we completed read, reading the Torah and now we are starting the next cycle of reading the Torah. It, it's considered the most joyful day um, of all the holidays. And we also picture that the Sukkot being, you know, the seven days of fellowship with, with Yah uh, in in that sense, whether that is seven thousand years or whatever that may be, but the great eight day is is like the new heavens and new earth. You know, it's it's a, it's a like a total start over a reset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so, so go ahead. Oh, go ahead, um, it. So Sukkot represents um, the how can I say it. Um, the shielding us, like God is our rock and he shields us, he protects us. So that's what the, that, that structure, it's, it's a sukkah, is a structure that we build symbolically and the seven days we are supposed to spend um, inside the sukkah, um, inside that structure. And the structure represents this this hugging and loving and pro protection, um, the, the personal, individualized love and protection that God um, has for us and gives us. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know if I should take it off topic or not yet, but Bob asked a question. He said, uh, Bob asked, uh, forgive my ignorance, but I thought Og was killed when the Israelites were claiming their lands. And yeah, Og was killed in, I think it was in Numbers, uh, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And they were still wandering through the wilderness. And Og came to battle them, engage them in battle. And they, uh, they killed them. And yeah, that was before they actually went into the land. So I just wanted to answer that for Bob. Yeah, and it, was it was it was numbers, right? I, I'm not 100 percent sure on the on the address, but it, it's interesting that Odd came out and did that, even though he did help Abraham uh, back in the day. But we know as time goes on, your your um, loyalties change. So, you, well, you know my thought on that. Is that mm -hmm. we see we see in the Aramaic Targum that Og did go and so what Rob is referring to is where he helped Abraham is in in the book of Genesis in the I think it's the Genesis thirteen war is it there is it's the the kingdom of Nimrod goes to war against Canaan and we know that 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 whole area is Og territory 
And but he goes to war against Sodom and Gomorrah, the kings there, and Lot is captured and taken away. Uh, this is actually after Sodom is sacked, and there's people like kings falling into slime pits and all this kind of stuff. And and the there is a messenger that comes and tells Abraham that Lot has been t- taken captive. Well, in the Aramaic Targum, it actually says it was Og who was the messenger who went and uh, and told Abraham. And, and people are like, what? Well, how I see this playing out is that... Um, oh, <laughs> thank you, Josh. Uh how I see this playing out is like the that uh, Japanese samurai film Yojimbo, and if you ever take like a film analysis class in college, they'll they'll tell you how the American Western uh, came out of primarily like the modern westerns, like we think of Clint Eastwood films uh, or the Italian spaghetti westerns, that they came out of the Japanese film. And in this in this film, this Yojimbo character, he's a lone samurai. And he goes into this uh, this like west this town in Japan. It's kind of like a western town, and there's these two gangs of ninjas that are battling each other. And over the course of the film, he he teams up with one side and he goes and kills the other people. And then he teams up with the other side and he goes back and kills the other people. And he keeps going back and forth until uh, um, until basically he annihilates both of them. And that's how I kind of see how Og playing out there that he's. Uh, he's he's working with he he doesn't like Abraham, but he hates Nimrod all the more. So he's like, all right, I'm going to come help you, Abraham, this one time, just so we can take out Nimrod and work. Anyways, but now we're we're finding out that uh, Og was improperly placed in here, and it was really Gog. So <laughs> so we're talking about Gog and Magog, but that was still a fun little rant on Og. Um, but yeah, so. If I get this right, and I'm going to be doing a study on this, I think I'm I'm finalizing this, and hopefully, y'all willing, I'll be giving it this Thursday. We'll be I'll be talking more about Gog and Magog, and I'll be giving some information away that I don't know if anyone ever else has. Uh, I've stumbled upon some things that are really shocking to me about who I think will be leading this assault on New Jerusalem. And when I say it, I'm going to withhold that information until I give the presentation on Thursday. I think some of you are going to be like, "Oh, that makes sense." Uh, it's kind of in our face, but I won't give it away now. But anyways, um, I think it's, is it Gog? Magog is the son of, um, of, um, Japheth. He's one of the sons of Japheth. And, um, so we say, um, so then Magog finally became the land of Magog. And then it's Gog from Magog. And then it kind of worked its way into Gog Magog. Uh, but it's 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 a land and a people group and a specific person or people group from that land uh, we're talking about. So, but more on that some other time. Hello, everyone. Yes. Hi, hi, Noel. How are you doing? You right? Good. I'm not sure. I'm trying to scroll up and uh, see who's. This is on. Andy. This is Andy. Hey. Hi, Andy. <laughs> Hi, hi. Uh, very, very exciting to be here again. <laughs> um, yeah, just uh, just wanted to show something, uh, to point something on the revelation, basically on the King James Version, because I've been doing some comparison between the King James Version and the Greek one. 
And it seems they are completely uh, identical in that aspect. And I found a verse on the 17, which doesn't seem uh, to exist at all on the uh, Hebrew version. So it says on the 17, it says, For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them. Now, <clears throat> in regards to this verse, uh, to the, I think to the unsuspecting user, um, it doesn't mean a lot, but uh, if we take into consideration the fact that um, in all the, um, in all the, uh, from the verse 9 until the verse, until the end uh, of the seventh chapter from 9, um, if, I, if I mention about the throne, it says, for the lamp which is in the midst of the throne. Now, if I take you back to the verse 9, which says, um, and people and tongues, which is the King James Version, yes? And says, stood before the throne and before the lamb clothed, clothed with, with white robes and palms in their hands. And then it mentions again and says, um, salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne. The Hebrew version says salvation belongs to Yahweh. Now, we know that the name Yahweh is completely interchanged with God in the King James, but also the Greek uh, revelation. But the problem is, the problem is that um, we hear again in the, um, in the King James, it says, fell before the throne in their faces. And then on the, on the verse 11, and then it mentions again the throne. It says on the verse 15, it says, Therefore are they before the throne of God and serving day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. So, so far, people will kind of understand if they read the King James that uh, the one who is on the throne might be the father. But then once it comes to, uh, to verse 17, for the lamb, it says, for the lamb which sits in the midst of the throne shall feed them. So if you read from 9 until the 17th, before you arrive to 17th, kind of the, you, the, the unsuspected uh, reader would actually think that, okay, in the middle of the throne could be God, which is a little bit vague as a description. But once they come to the 17th that says the lamb which is in the midst of the throne, they say, oh, okay, so... Um, our savior is um, it all due to uh, uh, it all due to Yeshua, uh, to Jesus. But I see a, I see an under undermining of the Father throughout all these kind of verses, especially from the nine until the seventeen. And this is this is this is probably why the Greek uh, the Greek Church and the Orthodox uh, Church is actually so much Trinitarian. You know this, so it's very. I'm not. I'm, I don't want to undermine uh, the lambs, um, uh, Yeshua, but I see a very intentional way of how, and I see it's kind of very clear when you read the Hebrew version that um, how by changing the name Yahweh to God um, in the in the King James, how much the users they can be confused because. Uh, uh, Jesus is God, but also Yahweh is God. So when you use this interchangeably, uh, it's kind of it like it almost sets the users up for failure in misinterpretation, 
and especially on the verse 17, where the whole verse for the lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them, which is the Hebrew doesn't say that. The Hebrew says the lamb will lead them to a well of water. It doesn't say will feed them. You know, so Jesus leads what the Father has created as food or well of waters, in a sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, I follow along with you. Um, what what my input is that when you look at both of these and compare, if when when viewing the King James generally, when using the general terms of God and and Lord, etc., throughout, it really diminishes what's being said and 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 makes one assume certain uh certain aspects to it because if you know clearly they're talking about yahweh or the father then it, it it's better understanding than the general term of lord can be interchanged with with yeshua or the father so those are the things that make it tough for the average person reading that does not look into it deeper or has a translation that gives those those specific differences. That's what makes it tough um, for the people in the past that have learned that way. I know myself when when I learned off of the King James and then had to dig in deeper and do my research and realized what more it was actually saying and and what it wasn't saying. So that that is key, and I believe it. And I do know that you know the enemy is going to use uh, wordplay all the time. We see it. Even today, where two years ago, one word meant one thing, and the definition has changed in two years, and now it means something else, and then two years from now, it's going to mean something else. So when the term is actually being used, there is, there is confusion, because some people will interpret it one way, and others will interpret it a total another way, but to them, it'll make sense to them when it's being used in their their mind and that's that's not good <laughs> and i know michael and i and and no we talk about uh definitions we got to know definitions of certain words when we're discussing certain topics and and obviously context so that way we understand each other's views when we're talking about a specific topic and uh, so i guess that's my input on what you were just saying yeah, I actually started to respond, and then I realized my microphone wasn't on, and uh, so, Rob, you took it off. That was good. I, I would also like to say that we read in John, I think it was in John 17 tonight, where we, I don't think we commented on it, but where Yahushua says that he came to make his father's name known. And I always thought that was a little odd, reading that in the gospel. I'd come across that and then go... Well, where is his father's name? Because it's not in here. But then you read the Hebrew documents, and it's like all throughout. So you know, it's it's when they rip that out, it it yeah, it kind of muddied the waters on a lot of stuff. That's my input. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, it makes sense. <laughs> does anyone else have anything? I'd like to add to what we that was really good, uh, Andy. Just, just you know, I, I, that was that was a great observation. You did a great job on that. Yeah. All right, Noel. Do you want to end it?
and then open yeah. it up. I uh, I officially end it. Uh, here's my gavel. Can you hear it? Okay, uh, ended it. Uh, <laughs> thank you, everyone, for coming. I'm always uh, really just. Uh, it's really exciting to just see everyone want to come and hang out. And I, I appreciate Rob and Michael coming here and uh, giving their amazing insights. It takes a lot of pressure off me because I, you know, I get really exhausted with all that I do as well. And just being able to, I look at, I get excited just to come here and of course read the Bible or scripture, but just hear what they have to say and then hear what you guys are going to say. So would someone like to close us in prayer? I opened us tonight. So is there anybody who would like to volunteer? And if not, I'll give you guys a few seconds to think about this for someone to say yay or Rob, would you like to do it? I always will if no one else does. So, all right. You're the I'll it. Your father, we come to you in thanks for this time that we have together to review your words, to discuss them, to hear other views on that on what it's saying, so that we can better understand. Father, may each and every person listening research, look into your words, pray upon them on what your words are saying. May the Ruach lead them in wisdom and bless each and every person that reads and studies your words. May they walk in prayer. May, it be on, may you be on their minds. And may your blessings be upon them. Father, we ask for a blessed week and that we may be able to be light and salt to others around us so that the lost tribes can come. May your sheep hear your voice and may we be a voice unto them. May we draw them close to you. Father, we ask that you work through us and that we be humble servants, walking in humility and love all the days of our life. In Yeshua's name I pray. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. We are officially closed for the night. Hallelujah. So you, you guys can open Thank up. Thank you talk. to all of you. Yeah, shalom, everybody. Shalom. Thank you, everyone.